0: We're going to the book of Jude. Uh, the book of Jude, if, if you've never read it, it's right before the book of Revelation. Um, man, there are, some, there are some tough realities in the book of Jude. And if you're a visitor today, um, and, and if you've never read the Bible, that's okay. You want to explain this in such a way that revealed God's character. Um, and there's so much about God. I open up by reading the scripture about his grace and mercy, and he's kind, and he's loving. I'm sure if you ask my children, they would tell you, man, our dad is this, this, and this. Um, But there's also another piece to our dad. Our dad can be disciplinarian, right? It's the same thing for the book of Jude. Uh, While we talk about God being full of grace, mercy, and he is great and he is forgiving, forgiving, there's also another part about God that we can't forget. He is judge. And we have to leave him in his proper place as judge, a powerful God, but yet a loving God. After this series, it's only one chapter of 25 verses, we we will dissect and take apart fully the Word of God, and I want you to, you will wrestle with this today. You may not like what the Scripture says, you may wrestle, you may have questions, allow the Holy Spirit, when you start to feel the Spirit stirring and there's something going on, uh, naturally we want to reject what doesn't feel good, just allow God to speak to you. That's all I ask of you today. Allow God to speak to your heart. We all want to grow. We all want sanctifi- sanctification. Sanctification is uncomfortable. And sometimes that starts with the stirring and God exposing of the heart. We'll finish this up in a couple of weeks. And then we'll enter a um, series on relationships, um, which will be a fun series to enter. Um, you know, I can remember when I first got married, um, I had such a desire to be a provider. Still do. Huge desire. And... We got married, and I, I remember just like sitting her down, like, "Honey, I'm going to take care of you. You, could, you. you name it, I'll give you the moon. You can have whatever you want." We got married, and I moved her in into a 600-square- feet apartment, and um, <laughs> And I was like, "Hey, you, you said that you would marry me even if it meant living in a cardboard box. She's like, yeah, but that's just something you say when you get the, you know, honeymoon. That didn't really mean it. And so I said, all right, I'm going to do something. My wife's not a diva. She's very humble, very, you know, she's sweet, sweet, sweet. Not a diva at all. Not a diva at all. But it's a, I'm joking. She's really not. She's the sweetest girl you will ever meet. Um, I'm more diva than she is, actually. But. I thought my wife said it, (laughs) like, girl, you got some fight in you. And so I sit her down in this little apartment. I was like, I'm going to do something special for you today. I got my first little paycheck and uh, I'm going to take you somewhere real nice today. And so I took her to Red Lobster and um, we're at Red Lobster. Red Lobster, for those of you who laugh, like that used to be like, that's, that's a nice place and it's expensive and you got to save up for it. And um, so took her to Red Lobster, Rat Red Lobster, I was like, I got another surprise. I know that you've been looking at some, some furniture stuff and decorating our house and she's a great interior decorator. I was like, daddy got a big check this week, honey. I'm going to take care of us and we're going to Ikea. And so I took her, (laughs) I took her to Ikea and we walk into it. Listen, this is one of the first times I've ever gone to Ikea. Amazing. They got meatballs for like a dollar. They got all kinds of stuff. That's amazing. So we go in, get the little basket and I'm like, hey, you, whatever's here, yeah, it's yours today. You just pick out. And she goes and starts picking stuff out. And, and then, so we recognize I didn't have any tools. And so we bought an Ikea tool set for me to use. It was my very first tool set. And we get back to our apartment and we take a look at this dresser. And I'm like, yeah, this two, two hours max, I got this thing. And I pull it out, and you know they have the little manual with the little man showing you what to do. It's super easy, and I was trying to show off, and I was like, "Your man don't need another man showing me how to do a man's work." (laughs) And so I put the instructions aside, and then I'm not—I am not exaggerating. Six hours later, I'm like, "This one must be messed up. They must have had something wrong with this one. (laughs) This must have come out the clearance aisle because this something—they're missing all kinds of." And then my total time was eight hours, total time. And so she walks into the room and she's like, Hey, what are these extra pieces for? I'm like, they they just come with just in case they come with extra pieces just in case something goes wrong. And she's like, did you look at the manual? I was like, I didn't need to look at the manual. Like, look at this, it's perfect. I I look at, I set up the picture and I looked at the picture. I didn't look at the manual. I didn't go step by step. And then so I pick up the drawers and try to put them in and they're upside down, (laughs) upside down. I had to unscrew everything. Start back with the manual, start over. The second time it only took me four hours. It was absolute chaos, and I had to redo it, and I learned the hard way. Because I do it, I didn't do it right the first time. Today in the book of Jude, he's telling his writers today, God has left us a manual. He has left us instructions and directions on how to live. And when you don't do it the right way the first time, you'll learn the hard way. And exactly what he's telling in the book of Jude during this time, here's what's going on, um, are people have come in to the church and they've taken God's truth. Here's the thing about God's truth. It's, it's life-giving. It's life-taking to some degree. It's, it's powerful. It's healing. It's comforting. There's all this stuff about God's truth. But it's only true when it's pure, the pure word of God, untainted, unblemished. And so, Here's what they did. They're coming in and they're redefining what God said. They're basically taking God's manual and say, I know God said to do this. So something beautiful is built, but don't do it that way. It ain't that big of a deal. You could do it this way. So people are coming into church doing that, trying to, as I said last week, redefine God's manual, redefine truth. And here's what happens every single time, every single time, biblically, every single time in our lives. Here's what it looks like God creates, man destroys, Jesus restores. Every time. God creates and has a design, man destroys it and goes outside of his design, Jesus restores. There's something innately in us that wants to push back against structure and accountability and we naturally want to go outside of God's design for many things, relationships, for for the things we think, the things we do, the things we see. And, and, And I have learned in my life that every time I personally go outside of God's design, I destroy what he originally intended. I need Jesus to restore what I destroyed. I need Jesus to restore what I have destroyed. Relationships. How many relationships in our lives have been destroyed because we did not act according to God's design? We had a moment of anger and said something we shouldn't have said. We had a moment of jealousy. We had a moment of envy. We had a moment of where we drank a liter of haterade, right? It happens. And we go outside of God's design and jealousy kicked in or whatever. And it breaks relationships. And this can go on over and over and over. Anytime we go outside of God's design. Here's what's, what the enemy wants to do for you today in your life. The enemy wants to distort, distort the voice of God in your life. The enemy wants to distort the voice of God in your life. This is why when many of us are driving or when you are in prayer time or when you're doing random things, you think the most self deprivating thoughts about yourself, don't you? And you beat yourself up and you tell yourself why God couldn't love you and why God couldn't use you. And you you begin to get in this narrative, where I have this struggles, where I do this. And here's my sin or here's my challenges. God can never love someone like me. In fact, the entire church can never love me. Christians can't love me. And you start beating yourself up to where you isolate yourself. And all you're doing is listening to the whispers of the enemy. What he wants to do is distort the voice of God. This has been going on since Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, God created, God's design. He created the order, the, the heavenly order. God in heaven, uh, the, the angels, humanity, creation. He put an order there. He put everything to what it was supposed to be. It was his design. Here comes Genesis chapter 3. You can just take a look at the text. I'm going to break this part a little bit. Genesis chapter 3. You're going to see God creates and you're going to see man destroys. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. So you see right off the bat, very early on, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. So you can circle that if you're following, God created, God made, God's design. Call it what you want, but God made it. It was God's total design. Here's what happened after God created. It said, he said to the woman, who said to the woman? The serpent. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What's going on? The enemy is distorting God's voice by redefining what God originally said. God said, here is the boundary, here is the accountability, here is the manual. Don't go outside of the manual because destruction will naturally happen. Don't go outside of the manual. If you have kids, you recognize the importance of household structure. When you don't have structure in your home, children will find a way to create chaos. They find it with structure, but that naturally happens. We find a way to create chaos when we don't have structure. God put structure, he put order, he told Eve, do not eat of this. You can eat of actually everything else, but don't eat of this. Satan comes in, the serpent comes in and begins to redefine truth and cast doubt in Eve's mind. Did God really say that? The very first time we see God's truth redefined, did God really say that? Did God really say that? Surely God's going to be okay if you don't actually do what he said. Everything's going to be good. Eve hears from Satan thinks, did God actually say that? It's amazing how we will find ways to sin if we really want to sin. We will find loopholes in the Bible just so that we can sin. And, and, and here's, here's a loophole. Did God really say that? Taking God's voice, God's truth, redefining it, did God actually say you shall not eat from the tree of garden? There's doubt. The doubt, watch this, leads to disobedience. Disobedience leads to mankind, human, humanity, destruction. Outside of God's design, disobedience led to great destruction. That's when we see in Genesis chapter 3, now here's what happened. We know this is what we call sin, when sin entered. Before this, in Isaiah chapter 14, we see that one third of the angels fell uh, with with Lucifer. Lucifer is now present, um, bringing sin into humanity, all of mankind. We will now know this as inherited sin, that forever from this moment, sin will be in all of us. Nobody had to teach us how to sin no one had to teach us how to do something wrong. No one had to teach us how to think something wrong. Nobody taught us. It was innately in us. It's why when boundaries are set up around us in accountability, we naturally don't like it. It feels stuffy. We call it toxic, right? If you, if you have a workplace where they have accountability and structure, we'll say it's a toxic place because they don't let me be me, which means they want to put accountability on me. And so Here's what happened from this moment. Um, you can write this down, I said it earlier. In that moment, God created, man destroyed, and you see, you'll see, you see that Jesus is the one who restores. So if you have your Bible, take a look at Jude. we Look at three verses today, and we're gonna be absolutely done. There are people in the church that Jude is writing to, and, and keep in mind, I challenge you, if you want to, if you, if you have issue with anything that is said today, I would challenge you and urge you to go home and just read the text for yourself and ask God, what is your heart in this text? What are you trying to say? This is God's heart today, giving warning to the people who are, who are doing certain things. And he is saying, look, God is a God of love, God of justice and mercy, but he's also a God of discipline. And so Jude is writing to the people in the church who are saying this, I want God, but I don't want an accountability. I want forgiveness, but I don't want structure. I don't want it. Don't make me feel uncomfortable. Don't say something that's going to offend me. I want it my way, but I also want God too. I want to do what I want to do. And so, Judah's writing to them saying, it doesn't work that way. It really doesn't work that way. There is structure in God's kingdom. And by the way, when structure is put in place, it always benefits for the one who has it in place for their lives. When I put structure in place for my kids, it's to benefit them, not to harm them. So, you look at... Warning number one, we're going to see three warnings today and we're going to be done. Warning number one that he gives them, it's the warning of disbelief. He says, disbelief leads to disobedience. Disbelief leads to disobedience. Um, You will know what people believe by how they behave. You will know what people believe by how they behave. And he's about to give us three examples Of how these people were living. Although they were preaching Jesus, they were teaching the word of God, these were actual teachers. He is saying, no, you you are going to have great judgment upon you because the way you're living is not backing up what you're teaching. It's hypocrisy. Verse 5, here's what he says. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroy those who did not believe. Look at this one verse right here. You see two things about Jesus. You'll see the Jesus who saves. He is a savior. He is a rescuer for those in need. He is a a savior for those who need to be forgiven of their sins and be freed up. He is savior. We know Jesus as savior, but in this one verse, you're also going to see another part of Jesus' character, Jesus as destroyer. Jesus as destroyer. What does this mean? Well, first of all, Jude is allowing us to see that Jesus is found in the Old Testament. Jesus is all in the Old Testament. So he's putting Jesus in the Old Testament as savior and destroyer. Why does he use verse 5 as an example of people who were um, destroyed? So listen to this. God was leading the people of Israel, they were following God, they were in the wilderness for 40 years, and here's what happened. Uh, They'd come across different instances where they needed miracles, and God provided unbelievable miracles in their lives over and over and over again. God parted the Red Sea, he brought down manna from the sky, he did all kinds of things and these people complained over and over and over again. It's like before I was a Christian, I remember there were moments when God was pulling my heart and he would do something crazy where I was like, I know that's God and he sees me and he loves me and there are moments where I'd go to church and I'd break down crying like, oh, you love me, you see me and I'd leave the church doors and I'd go back to doing whatever I wanted to do. And it happened over and over and over until it was almost like God said, fine, you don't want to believe that I'm here and real, do your own thing and you'll recognize you need me. Well, doing my own thing led to so much brokenness that I, I attempted suicide because I was so broken because I was doing my own thing. I was living outside of God's design. And finally, it was a wake-up call, and it made sense to me. So these people, the Israelites, were seeing God do miraculous things. God sends Joshua and Caleb as spies to go to this land of milk and honey. You'll see it in Numbers 14. This land where they're going to get rest. And God is saying, I want you to go into this land. And they're saying, no, we've seen the people. We're like grasshoppers compared to them. We're not going into that land, God. We can't do it. And God's saying, trust me, believe me, I got you. And they're saying, no, I'd rather be dead. I'd rather be back in Egypt as a slave like I was before. I'm not going to follow you. So the scripture says that because these people did not believe in God, their disbelief led to disobedience, which led to their destruction. So what you see about God in this first warning is that God destroyed, listen to this, an entire generation who failed to believe. These weren't Christians who were struggling with being obedient. These were people who simply chose not to believe in Yahweh. And the scripture says, this is sobering for us today, the scripture says that he destroyed an entire generation. Twenty years and older, God destroyed them all. One scholar said there was about 1.3 million people that God destroyed, I get it, I get it, some of us don't feel comfortable with knowing God does these kinds of things, but the point here is that they failed to place faith and believe that he was indeed Yahweh. The second warning that we see, let me, let me lead, take us back here, the second warning that we see, disobedience leads to disorder. Disobedience leads to Disorder. This next verse in verse six. Is going to really mess with you a little bit. So I want you to hang tight, but I want you to listen to the text. And this is why it's important that we teach the text because it begins to expose things that we naturally don't talk about or think about. But in in, in verse 6, disobedience leads to disorder. Remember I told you when God created, he created angels, the heavenly hosts. He created um, humanity. He created creation, animals, moon, stars, ocean. He created everything and everything has its proper order. Everything has a proper order in God's kingdom. When you go outside that order, chaos uh, becomes a reality. And here's in verse 6, listen to this. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority. So God gave the angels a position of authority. Angels are real today, by the way. This isn't some um, uh, just little little fantasy we talk about. Angels are real. So God created angels. He gave them a position of authority, but they left their proper dwelling. So um, uh, you can wrestle with whether or not this was God's part of. God's uh, predestined plan for the angels to rebel against him. We can wrestle with, did God give them free will so that they had the ability to choose to reject God? You can wrestle with that. Nonetheless, the reality is they left their proper dwelling. And so here's what happened. Um, There are two times that we see angels sinning against God. The first time is in Isaiah 14 when Lucifer takes one-third of the angels from heaven. And this is why we have demons today. Uh, This is why people are demon-possessed. These fallen angels can reside in people that are not followers and believers of Jesus Christ. Uh, Christians can be influenced by demons, but they cannot be possessed by demons because Christ resides in us. Therefore, the demon cannot come in and boot Christ out. Those who do not follow Christ and who are living according to the world can be demon-possessed. You can be, you're more likely be demon-influenced, whatever you want to call it. I have been there, done that, influenced by the things of this world through whatever you want to call that. But nonetheless, the reality is, here's what took place. Isaiah 14, you see the angels rebelling against God. That was birthed out of pride. They rejected God's structure. They rejected accountability. And so God gave them the free will to reject him. One third of the angels left. That's the first time you see sin. The next time you see sin, which this is going to be great um, dinner table talk for you parents and your children tonight. The next time you see, it's in Genesis chapter 6, um, where the fallen angels, not all, but some fallen angels came to earth. Uh, scholars said they were probably in some human form or they possessed human bodies, but they began to cohabitate, cohabitate with, with women on earth. So I know there's some of y'all like, Whoa, that's in the Bible. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's in the Bible. And so here's what happened. God gave the angels this this freedom and they use this freedom to indulge in just this immorality. And so these angels come down to earth, they, they begin to have children. And so Genesis 6, which is why the flood happens. Because God takes a look and thinks, man, I've given these people free will and I've given them a life. I've given them what they wanted. What is going on? They're using their freedom to really rebel against me. And so that's why the flood happens. He wipes out absolutely everybody except for Noah and a handful of people. But here's what it says about these angels. So, you saw in verse 5 how God chose the Israelites, his chosen people. They did not believe him, so he destroyed them. This is his chosen people. Then it goes into verse 6 where God created angels. You would think at least the angels get a pass. Not even the angels got a pass. What does it say about the angels? Well, it says they left their proper dwelling. He has kept an eternal chains. So... God created the angels to have a proper dwelling. They came outside of God's design, did whatever they wanted, they destroyed. God created, man destroyed, right? And so now you have this natural brokenness and consequence and judgment. What is that natural judgment? For the people of Israel, God killed them all. For the angels, listen to the judgment. This is not all of the angels today, the fallen angels. This is some of the fallen angels. There are still some roaming out there today on earth. But here's what he says happened to those angels that is true right in this moment. I want you to think, right in this moment, this is true for these fallen angels. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until... The judgment of the great day. So what is this saying? So let's pack this apart a little bit. What is this saying? Angels are real and he gave them a position of authority. They went outside of his design. They destroyed God's design. God created, man destroyed, angels destroyed. Now there are consequences to this. What are the consequences to them going outside of God's design? There are always consequences to going outside of God's design. Here are the consequences. In this very moment, it says that he kept in eternal chains. So these angels are kept in eternal chains right now. How long? Here's another reality that we must know. This is another reality in this one verse, verse 6. Until the judgment of the great day. What does this mean? It indeed means that there's a day of judgment. Listen, there's a day of judgment. This is only scary for us in the room today if we don't know Jesus. Anytime somebody mentioned the day of judgment or hell or anything like that, I would be terrified when I didn't know Jesus. Now when people mention the day of judgment, I'm like, yeah, come on, I'm ready. I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted of drama. I'm so exhausted of fights. I'm so exhausted. Everybody gets offended for everything. I'm tired. Come on, let's go. As long as I got Chick fil A in heaven, I'm good, God. We, we, <laughs> right? And ESPN, I'm good. That's all I need. I don't ask for much, Lord. Been serving your people. God, I'm tired. But we know there's a day of judgment, which means there's a second coming. Which means Jesus is coming back. And he's just coming back. He's coming back from what? Well, he's coming back, as we just saw in verse 5, as Savior. For those that have placed your faith in him, he's coming back as your savior. Not for those that are perfect in here today. For those that are forgiven. Not perfection, forgiveness. And for those that are forgiven, you can have hope. You know, you know I'm not advertising for sin, but let me just share, sometimes the church is like, oh, well, if you stole a piece of gum, he'll forgive you. He's good. If you, you know, no, if you are in the middle of, of horrible, 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 horrible sin. Even his grace can save you from that. Even his grace can forgive you. Even his grace can pull you out of that. That that's what I'm talking about. And he, he is that good and he is coming back. He he will. So what we know from verse six is there is the judgment of the great day. So warning number one, disbelief leads to disobedience. You will behave based on what you believe, and your behavior will display what you really believe. Your behavior will display what you really believe. So here are the Israelites and he destroyed them. That was his judgment because they went outside of his design. Number two, warning number two, disobedience leads to disorder. When the angels came down, chaos pursued and God had to wipe everybody out with the flood. He's like, this is not, the, no, 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 This is not what I planned. I gave you free will and you're using it for evil. I'm wiping everybody out. That did not sound like the sweet little God we always think about, does it? Then, last warning, then I'm done. We'll close it out and be done. Warning number three, disorder leads to destruction. Disorder leads to destruction. Disorder leads to destruction. Verse seven, this is all these three verses right out of the Bible, all very true, very relevant, true today. The angels are still in their chains. Israelites were destroyed. All this is all true Verse 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursue unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Why does he use verse 7? Remember, he said that the teachers were coming in the churches and they were perverting the grace of God. One thing the enemy has always used to perverse the grace of God is sexuality. One thing he's always used all throughout the Bible times, it's, it's just, it's always been there, the sexual morality, whatever that, that looks like. Let me be very clear about something today as we read this text. If you're in here today, and, 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 and as we read verse 7, where Sodom and Gomorrah were these, here's the problem with Sodom and Gomorrah. You always hear about the sexual morality, but there's more going on than sexual morality. Sodom and Gomorrah were unbelievably wealthy cities. They had an abundance of stuff. They had so much that they kept collecting materialism and they had all this stuff, but they were just, they wanted more and more and more. And scripture says that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah would see other people in need and they had an abundance. They wouldn't even use it all, but they wouldn't feed and help the needy. And it hurt God's heart. He's like, here you are, have so much blessings. You're not even helping people in need. You thought that I've only given you stuff just for you. No, it's so that I can work through you. What are you doing? And they're indulging in all of this stuff. And all of a sudden the stuff is not enough. It's like, this is why we gotta be careful. When we pursue dreams and we pursue careers and you think that's the end all to life, you will catch what you've been chasing and recognize it's not gonna fulfill what you've been needing. If you're not careful, especially, man, college students, I did this all the time. If you're not careful, you will catch what you have been chasing and recognize it is not what you have been needing. And the enemy will say, all right, you caught this. Let's go find something else. And it's never enough. And you keep running and you keep chasing and you keep catching and you keep needing. It's a cycle. I'm going to run, chase, catch but I'm going to need. It's a cycle over and over and over. And the enemy keeps doing it because then we begin to do things that are outside of our character and outside of God's design so that we can chase the things that we are feeling and we think that we need only for the enemy to let us catch it and recognize, up, oh, it's not going to fulfill me. So in Sodom and Gomorrah, it's like, man, they had all this stuff and they recognize this is isn't enough what else can we do well let's experiment experiment with what the scripture right here says they indulge in sexual immorality this word sexual morality the phrase means that they went outside of God's original intent of what fill in the blank whatever you want like literally whatever you want the Bible is saying and let me that they went outside and indulged in sexual morality and pursued unnatural desire, served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So listen to this to be very, very clear today. This scripture in verse seven is not saying that if you're in this room and you have any kind of sexual struggle today, or if you're in this room and you've messed up sexually, or if you're in this room and there's an addiction, whatever it may be, the scripture is not saying that you are doomed. Absolutely not. That's not what it's saying. This is not a struggle, this is not a slip up, this is not a whatever. That's not what this text is saying. I know it's very uncomfortable for some of you, but you have to know that. I don't want you leaving, think like, oh, I'm doomed, God doesn't love me because I struggle. No. Look at your neighbor and then the neighbor on the other side and the neighbor in front of you and the neighbor behind you. We all have a struggle. In this room, we all have a struggle with something. We're human. We all struggle with something in this room. And so, in and I'm not saying it's all sexual, but there's sin in this room. So it's not saying you are doomed if you have sexual struggles or sins. or That's not what it's saying. These people right here said, you know what? We've heard about you, God. We know about you. But we have so much stuff, we don't need you. In fact, we're going to do whatever we want to do. We're going to have all kinds of wild parties. And we're going to blatantly sin against you because we don't really care what you say or think, God. That was the heart and attitude of these people. That was the heart and attitude of these people. It wasn't, God, I failed and I'm so sorry, or God, I have an addiction, or God, I'm struggling, or God, oh, please help me. No, it wasn't none of that. It was, I'm going to do it, and I don't care what you say, and here I am, God. And so when you think about Sodom and Gomorrah, yes, there was sexual morality, but there was more than that going on. There was ego, there was pride, there was consumerism. We're going to take all this and make it mine. It's not going to be for the glory of God. And what he is saying is they rejected the reality of God. They rejected who he was. And because of that, them too will experience punishment for eternal fire. Not for sexual morality, but for rejecting God. They rejected Jesus. That's why. What sets us apart from God? We can ask questions. Well, does this sin? What if this? What if this? What if this? According to my Bible, the only thing that keeps us from God is rejecting his son. Rejecting his son. He, the son is the way to the father. The son is the way to the father. So, if you're here today, you may hear that and think, man, I brought a friend today. This wasn't a great sermon to bring him to. See, that baby didn't think so either. <laughs> that's the bad news. That's the challenging news. That's the heavy news that God is a judge. But here's the good news as the band comes up, and I'll leave us with this because although this is a reality, there's good news God creates, man destroys, and Jesus restores. That's the good news. Whatever, whatever you have done that has taken you outside of God's design, whatever you are doing, whatever you have fallen to, wherever you have failed, um, no matter what other churches have said, what other Christians have said, uh, what your friends have said, here is the truth. And I want to stick to the truth today because in the truth, there is power. I'm just going to read this text and I'm going to try not to give it any commentary because I want you to know the truth because the truth will set you free. No matter what you are wrestling with, challenged with today in this room, no matter what you have told yourself, no matter what others have said about you, no matter what you think how God views you, you may be sitting here today thinking, man, you've said something that I think you're talking to me and I'm upset. God can't love me. I want to share something with you for this truth. We have all come outside of God's design and there's always brokenness and there's always pain and there's always struggle and that's why he wants to put us back in his design, whatever that means for you. I would, and, 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 and Jesus is the one who restores, but here is the good news and here is the truth, the truth of God. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Which means that there was a time and moment where the culture had a grip of our passions and of our, of our hearts. And we did whatever the culture told us to do. This is what Paul is telling them. There was a time where you were gripped by the course of this world. And wherever the world went, you went. And you, you did everything that the world told you to do. Following the prince of the power of the air, which is the demonic fallen angels that had influence over our lives, getting us to do what the culture was telling us to do, the spirit that is now at work, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. I love verse 3, among whom we all once lived. Everybody online, everybody in the chapel, everybody in this room, who we all once lived. We all once lived in this position. That the passions of our flesh, that we have fleshly passions that go against God, and then we carry those passions out, the body and the mind. And here's what it says. When we were living in this way and we rejected God and the things of God, and we rejected Jesus as the Son of God, I don't want you to sit and think, well, this and this and... No, it's simply rejection of the Son of God. It says, when you rejected the Son of God... You were by nature children of wrath. That's a hard, hard truth. Now imagine me reading that scripture and say, have a great day. Hope you're encouraged today. May God be with you. And it's done. Praise God. It's not done. It's a sobering reality of where we would be without Jesus. It's a sobering reality for some of us in here where you are without Jesus. But there is hope and there is freedom and there is victory in this next verse. In verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved and raised up. With him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. You got a struggle today, so does everybody else. It's not of your own doing. You're imperfect, so is everybody else. It's not of your own doing. Not a license to sin, but the reality of grace. That it's not of your own doing. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Here you go. You don't deserve it, but I love you. Here's my mercy. Here's my grace. Here's my forgiveness. Not A result of work so that no one will boast, so that when you receive this gift, you won't think that you actually had something to do with it, but you will live this life of gratitude to know that while you were dead in your trespasses, I extended my mercy and grace to you because I don't want to extend my judgment. I want to extend my grace and mercy. For we are his workmanship. Do you know what this means? that he takes you when you're dead and your trespasses and he brings you in close and he gets your grace and your mercy and you're sitting here like, I'm just so jacked up. How can you ever use me? And he says, well, I'm not done because you are my workmanship. I got a plan and a task for you. I am going to use you in a way that you never thought you could be used. I'm going to use you in a way to where everyone knows that I have come into your life and changed your life. I'm going to use you where no one can stop the plans that I'm going to do through you. If you allow me to extend my grace and mercy, I will use Use you in a way that you never thought you could be used because you are my workmanship. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So child, reach over to my hand, grab my hand and walk with me as we walk into the things that I have created you for. That is truth today. That is truth for your life and it's truth for my life.